Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, Mining Community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Richard Williams, who's the CEO of Cornish Metals, who who are an associate company of uh, OSISCO um, and building a portfolio of strategic metal assets in the UK and North America. Um, Their near-term strategy is to focus on exploration of near-service high-grade copper and tin mineralization at the United Downs Project in Cornwall, UK. And Rich is a professional geologist who has over 30 years of experience in the mining and mineral exploration sector, uh, principally in South Africa um, or Southern Africa and South and Central America. Um, And he's here today to talk about um, Cornish Metals and what is happening in Cornwall um, in the UK. So that's welcome, Richard, to the podcast. How are you doing, Richard? Uh, very good, Rob. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and I appreciate your time. I know uh, you're over from um, over from Canada in the UK, attending a number of conferences. So, um, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time out uh, to do this podcast. So, um, as we always start these podcasts off, I just wondered if you can give us a, a background about yourself so the audience knows you, a little bit about your career. Obviously, like I said, you've been in the industry for 30 years. So, um, yeah, I'll hand it over to you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, thanks. Uh, I think you could probably tell from my accent that I'm not from Canada. Um, from Wales originally, uh, grew up in a in a coal mining town in South Wales. Uh, graduated in the late '80s. Went like many geologists at the time. Ended up in in South Africa working on the on the deep gold mines. Uh, was there through the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, then migrated across to Canada. Did a, a master's degree in in mineral exploration. And that then led on to working in South America for four and a half years in uh, the Guyana Shields, Suriname, Guyana, Venezuela, uh, before moving up to Vancouver in 98. Uh, Followed that up with uh, a couple of years exploration down in Mexico, uh, some work in Sardinia. And then, as you touched on, uh, spent a lot of time uh, between 2004 and, and recently working in Namibia and Tanzania copper and gold exploration. And in around about 2015, uh, some of the the guys that I know in the Cisco group um, asked if I'd be interested in looking at building a tin company. And like probably a lot of people at the time, I, I wasn't fully up to speed with the importance of tin to the electronics world. And after digging a bit deeper, I realized that there was a, a fascinating, fascinating opportunity uh, looming on the horizon. And so I joined what was then called Strongbow Exploration. And it was a listed company listed in Canada. And the whole objective was to look for tin projects in a good jurisdiction, uh, preferably something that had a mining history. And uh, lo and behold, we ended up acquiring projects in Cornwall. And so we always felt that the, um, the perfect fit for the company would be to get a list in here in the UK. And we succeeded with that in, in February this year. 
and uh, and now we're pushing forward, as you said, with the exploration program at United Downs, and also looking at ways where we can advance the, I guess, the iconic South Crofty tin mine in Cornwall. Great. Um, so yeah, just wondering if you can tell us about um, obviously Cornish Metals. Um, I wonder if you can tell us about the company, and then we can talk about Cornwall afterwards. Sure. Um, well, when we, as I said, when we started uh, looking at tin projects, uh, what I realized fairly quickly was that there really weren't many good quality tin projects available for acquisition, um, certainly under the mandate that, that we were looking for, which was really a, a good jurisdiction. I think what was startling was that there's really no primary tin mine production in Europe. Uh, there's none at all in North America. Uh, the U.S. Uh, has classed tin as a strategic mineral and fairly quickly came to realize that the bulk of uh, tin consumption goes into electronics. And so my initial thought was, you know, there's a strategic angle here where um, a tin producer could, you know, just like you see in today in, in, the, in the car world, um, these alliances with end users where end users are looking for specific supplies of different metals to to meet their objectives and you know the whole growing ESG kind of things. Um, when we came across the Cornish assets, the company that had them had, had moved the projects into administration. Um, some of your viewers might remember that probably between 2011, 2012, really up until last year, we were in a quite a prolonged bear market for um, resource commodities, base metals in particular. And so South Crofty, the, the company that had it previously, had funded the project to the point where they'd secured a new mine permit. Uh, they'd secured planning permission to, to build a new process plant, but the market wasn't there to, to fund it any further. So when we came along, we had um, almost a fully permitted project that needed that next step. And you know, again, as the resource kind of world goes, it's a very cyclic um, kind of sector in the economy. And here we are today with tin prices at record highs and an opportunity to to move some of these projects forward. So we ended up acquiring the Cornish assets from administration in 2016. Um, we published a uh, an initial resource on the South Crofty tin project and it is probably the highest grade um, or it is the highest grade tin project in the world right now that's not in production. Um, so, you know, we've seen this whole transition towards um, electrifying the, the economy, looking at renewable power sources, uh, power storage, uh, the Internet of Things, the growth of all of these things. And, and tin is essential to all of these parts of the economy. So it's, it's a real opportunity for Cornwall to get on back on the map uh, of, of mining and specifically supplying some of the UK or Europe's needs from a tin and copper perspective. Yeah. Um, before we talk about Cornwall, um, obviously you mentioned tin is a sort of important and strategic uh, metal. I just wonder if you can tell, tell us a little bit more about obviously and what you've discovered over the last sort of five years, what, you've, what you know more about, obviously what you know about tin and how strategic is it? Yeah, not for sure. Um, you know, up, up until, you know, the mid 1980s, there was a, a group known as the International Tin Council that really kind of managed the tin market, I guess, almost a, a cartel, for want of a better term. 
And then there was the discovery of new tin deposits in, in Brazil and Malaysia um, that came onto the market and the, the tin council basically went bankrupt. And as a result, the tin price crashed in 1985. And that led to the closure of pretty much all of the hard rock tin mines around the world. Um, at that time, uh, the U.S. also had a strategic stockpile of tin. And I guess they looked at that and said, well, it's not really strategic anymore. We've got all of this tin supply coming onto the market. And to compound the oversupply issues, the U.S. sold off their, um, their stockpile that they had as well. The, the big change for tin was uh, about 20 years ago where the EU passed legislation outlawing the use of lead solder. Um, because of its toxic nature, and the only suitable replacement was tin. Now, up until, uh, I would say 2001, 2002, the annual tin market was around 200,000 tonnes per year of tin. And as a result of this change towards using tin in solder, you saw the consumption of tin jump dramatically to about today's levels, around 360,000, 370,000 tonnes of, of tin per year. So I think that's helped over the last 20 years to kind of take up all of that excess supply, excess product that was in the market. And today, about 50% of all the tin consumed goes into solder in electronics. So anything that's got electric circuitry, um, a circuit board, your laptop, your, your iPhone, your dishwasher, microwave oven, your TV, everything's got tin in it. And... Um, what you see in now is, you know, the, the, almost a combination of things. One is obviously the um, the push to address climate change and reduce carbon footprint, and you know, look at how we can do that. And you, you couple that with this whole drive towards um, electrification of the economy, and it's all benefiting tin consumption and it's become very much uh, a discussion point within governments is to identify what resources you've got domestically which can help in this drive towards the electrification and, and carbon footprint reduction. And Cornwall is blessed with being, you know, a, a, one of these regional world-class mineral districts that had a long history of, of copper and tin mining. So that's where the opportunity lies for, for tin going forward and, and for Cornwall. Yeah, um, I was just, I was going to go on to my next question. Is um, is sort of the Cornwall area? Is that the mecca for tin, or is there other sort of countries um, around the world that there is sort of a tin in abundance? Yeah, that, that, that's that's a really interesting point because when you when you look at where tin production, certainly mined tin production, comes from today, seventy five percent of the mine production comes from three countries: China. Uh, Myanmar and Indonesia. Um, there's production from Tasmania. There's there's a famous mine there called Renison, which is similar to to some of the Cornish mines. It's high grade, narrow underground. Um, so you've got a tin belt in Tasmania. There's there's also a, a region in Peru. There's a mine called San Rafael, which um, has been a big producer over the last 20, 30 years. And then more recently, um, there's a company called Alphamin that just put the Bissy tin project in, in DRC into production. That's incredibly high grade. It's a fantastic deposit. Um, 
obviously a bit of a challenging location, but uh, the guys have done an amazing job building the mine and putting that into production. Um, but I think Cornwall has been, to a large degree until recently, almost forgotten about as, as a source for tin. And uh, everything that we've looked at suggests that there's enormous potential to, to put some of these projects back into production and, um, and help kind of secure the supply into certainly into Europe and maybe North America. Um, so let's talk about Cornwall. What obviously, what was it, what actually initially attracted you to the prospect of sort of mining in Cornwall? And I want to even give us an overview of, I suppose, tin um, in the Cornwall area. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm honest, when, when the opportunity first came across the desk, my initial thought was Cornwall, <laughs> you know, it's uh, not your regular destination for mining investment these days. Um, but I came across and was really blown away by the quality of the asset, certainly at South Crofty and, and the scale of the deposit. Um, there's, there's a 3D model that we use. Um, I think we're going to try and put it onto the website, which shows the extent of the underground workings in what's known as the central mining district of Cornwall, which un underlies the South Crofty mine, extends across to United Downs, where we're exploring right now. And it really gives you a flavor for the amount of um, underground workings that exist down there. There's not really much evidence on surface for, for the scale of the operations, apart from some of the old kind of engine houses that have been preserved um, over time. More importantly, from South Crofty's perspective, one of the biggest aspects, I think, anywhere in the world today to put in a new project into production is so-called permit risk. And we were the beneficiaries of the previous uh, guys who were investing in the project where they'd secured a new mine permit, which is valid for another 50 years. Um, they, they got that granted in 2013. Um, in 2011, uh, planning permission was granted to build a process plant. So when we looked at the project, it was two-thirds of the way there from a permit permitting perspective. So the I think the aspects that you know we wanted to feel comfortable with was could we get the environmental permit to to dewater the mine because it is flooded today? And we worked with the environment agency to come up with a plan that was was beneficial to the environment, but also help would help uh, push South Crofty towards production. Um, we had that permit granted in 2017. And more importantly, I think the, the biggest aspect that um, affects any, any project today, certainly in an urban environment, is, is social license or community support. And South Crofty, again, is, is very iconic mine in the region. Um, there's a very strong association between the local community and South Crofty itself, and you know we've just had overwhelming support from from the local community, from local council, right up to Cornwall Council, to you know obviously work to best practices. But you know the opportunity to put this mine back into production would be, would provide enormous economic boost to the towns of Camborne, Pool, Redruth. Um, you know it, it is an area that suffers from unemployment, underemployment. Um, it's not part of that whole Cornish tourism scene. Um, so that's where we see the opportunity, you know, potentially create 
275 jobs at, directly at the mine site and maybe another 750 to 1,000 jobs on the, uh, indirectly on the supply chain side. So, you know, everything ticks the boxes. Um, and, 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 you know, another aspect to it is it's an underground mine, so it's got a very small surface footprint and would probably be the only mine in the world where we can put 100% of the tailings back underground because you've got all of these void spaces from historic mining activity that we can use as the depositories for, for the tailings. Now, and that, that's good to hear. You mentioned, obviously, um, that you're working, uh, that, that the actual community are on your side um, and obviously working hand-in-hand hand with, I suppose, local businesses in the area. Um, I know you, you guys have got a strong relationship with the Campbell School Mines. Um, how, how have they helped along with the process? Uh, you know, just just the fact that Camborne School of Mines, I think, is internationally regarded as as one of the best mining schools to produce some of the best mining engineers, mine geologists, surveyors, mineral processors, uh, means that that part of Cornwall or Cornwall in general has got a wealth of people down there who have got incredible technical expertise in the mining industry. Um, a lot of those people apply their trades all around the world today, but many of them still live in Cornwall. Um, so you've got that aspect. You know, people often look at the availability of, of skilled labor to, to try and get a project going again. And that, it certainly exists at, at the higher levels. From Camborne School of Mines perspective, we see a great opportunity here for us to work with them. Um, you know, we've had a number of students come down and re do research projects at South Crofty. Uh, we regularly have classes come to the mine site to do various practical uh, classes and, and gain experience in an underground environment. So, you know, I, I think it's trying to build up that longer term association where we can work together to produce the next generation of of people to work in the mining industry. But obviously, it's it's far removed from the old ways of, of operating. Um, you're looking at new technologies and um, applying them underground at somewhere like South Crofty. Yeah. Um, you recently uh, announced the results from the ongoing drilling program at United Downs, uh, yeah. obviously Copper and Tin Project, um, which has demonstrated high grades, including silver. Um, I just wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a fascinating area. Um, it's only about eight kilometres as the crow flies to the east of South Crofty, so it's really all part of uh, almost a continuous mineralized district. Um, when we looked at the project uh, just over a year or so ago, um, Owen Mylop was our chief operating officer. He, you know, he had, he'd identified it as um, an area with very high prospectivity from an exploration perspective. And the reason for that is you've got a cluster of historic mines, uh, two of them, one was called United Mines, um, another was called Consolidated Mines, were very high-grade underground copper producers through the 1700s, right up until 1860, 1870. The recorded average grades from those mines was in excess of 7% copper, um, which you know, resulted in the, in the area being called the richest square mile on earth at the time. Um, it, it generated incredible wealth for the region. Um, those mines ended up closing in the 1860s, 1870s, when there was new copper projects discovered in the Americas. Um, 
larger, lower cost operations, which again led to a drop in the copper price at the time. Um, it's not to say that those mines actually mined everything out. We've actually drilled some holes beneath United Mine and, and got some very high-grade copper mineralization. So we know it extends to depth. And then a little bit further east um, from United Mine, there was a mine called Mount Wellington, which operated in the uh, late 60s and up until about 1977. That was a tin, zinc, copper, silver producer. Um, and then immediately um, on trend from that to the east was another mine called Wheel Jane, which um, some of you, your viewers may remember. It, it was in operation until 1991. Um, it was owned by Rio Tinto um, back, at, back in the day. And that was also a tin, zinc, copper, silver producer. So you've, you've clearly got a geological environment that's had a lot of metal emplaced into it. And in the 1980s, prior to the tin price collapse, uh, Rio Tinto had identified an area between United Mine and Consolidated Mines as being prospective. And so they'd started um, developing some underground tunnels and a decline to explore that area. And then the tin price collapsed and that was the end of the, their exploration. And that was really the last exploration that took place in, in Cornwall. And um, last year, there was a drill hole drilled by our partner, Cornish Lithium, who's looking for lithium and brine potential throughout Cornwall. And that drill hole was right between the United Mine and Consolidated Mines. And they discovered, as you said, some high-grade copper mineralization. I think the intercept was around 14 and a half meters at eight and a half percent copper. So even though it was exceptionally high grade in comparison to other projects around the world, it's certainly similar grade to what was being mined historically at, at United and Consolidated Mines. So it wasn't really an outlier in that perspective. Um, we then used, you know, one of, one of the things we've always talked about is the exploration potential in Cornwall, it's it's one of the most heavily mined regions in the world, but probably one of the least explored regions. And it's <laughs> uh, and you know the reasons for that is that most of the mining took place you know a long time ago, and the the way the operators would conduct business back in those days was they'd find an outcrop in vein, they'd sink a shaft on it, and then they'd mine laterally away from that, and they would never mine any waste. They'd never go looking for another uh, another vein. So even though you've got all these big mines everywhere, um, there's a lot of scope to find additional mineralization between some of those old operations, but also along a long trend from them. And in fact, when you look at the, you know, some of the complexities of working in Cornwall is the way the mineral rights work. So the mineral right boundaries would reflect land holdings on surface. And so if you owned a chunk of land, you'd own the mineral rights beneath that land. And very often you might mine under, on your mineral rights and reach your property boundary. And that would be the end of the mine. Maybe the next mineral right owner didn't want to mine. So you've got the extension in those directions, which are still open for exploration. Uh, so it's a fascinating area. We've now announced drill results from eight holes at, at United Downs. And what we're seeing is evidence for a number of kind of pulses of mineralization. Some of the intercepts are very high-grade tin only. Um, some have copper plus tin plus silver. 
Um, others have zinc plus silver. So, you know, the next step for us is to try and figure out how all this fits together, but it's certainly an area with some very high grades and we think a lot of potential. Great to hear. Um, yourself, uh, Crofty Tim Mine is well known and obviously largely within the, the mining sector. Um, what are your current plans with the project, um, obviously particularly with the, the boom in tin price? Yeah. Well, as, it, I, you know, as I touched on earlier, it is the highest grade tin resource currently not in production in the world. Um, we published a new resource this year, which outlined uh, different classifications, around 2 million tons indicated and around 2 million tons inferred. Uh, both categories are on 1.6% tin. Uh, what does that mean? Um, well, 1% is 22 pounds. Uh, so 1.6% would be about 33, 34 pounds of tin for every ton of that rock. Um, and today you're looking at the tin price around $17 per pound. Um, so 30 odd pounds that, you know, a ton of that rock would be worth something in the order of 550 to 580 US dollars per ton. Uh, that's very high grade. And, you know, that's uh, eminently viable from an underground mining uh, perspective. Uh, you know, the, what, what we are facing today is that the mine is flooded. When, when the mine closed in 1998, uh, the pumps were turned off, uh, which is why we then had to work with the Environment Agency to show that we could uh, extract the water, uh, treat the water and clean it to a level that's acceptable to the Environment Agency. Um, and, and what that does, it actually cleans up the environment of the Red River, which is currently uh, receiving contaminated mine water from it. Uh, so the next steps in the project there are to um, is to work through that whole dewatering aspect of the mine. Um, you know, we think if we can raise the funding at some point to do that, then um, you know certainly we could see the time timeline to get into production over the next few years would really tie in with what. The International Tin Association is now, you know, what they've been predicting for the last several years is um, a technology super cycle where we, we get into this period where new technologies are coming on stream faster and faster. And a lot of these things are related to computing or renewable power or power storage, uh, electric vehicles, um, you know, enhancement of the current grid or the Internet of Things for one. You know, and that's one of the terms uh, used today. Um, and all of these things need tin. So I think you're going to see growing demand for tin going forward. Um, but the, you know, the other side of the equation there is that because the, the tin price crashed in 1985, we've gone through a period of, of 30 years with underinvestment, uh, looking for new tin opportunities. So, yeah, that's, that's why we think so highly of South Crofty. Um, how's the landscape of mining in Cornwall changed uh, with the move towards carbon uh, neutrality? Well, Cornwall is a very interesting area. There's lots of renewable power generation going on there right now, wind farms, um, solar panel fields, um, a lot of research going into offshore floating uh, wind generating platforms. Um, so th there is a lot of power being generated. Um, you've also got this, I, I, I guess, these ambitions in the, within the UK to have a domestic um, battery manufacturing sector, electric vehicle sector. Um, and all of these things play into 
you know, this modern economy that we're, we're all aspiring for, which is a reduction in carbon footprints. Um, w- w- when you look at mining in Cornwall, the opportunity that we have at South Crofty is to capitalize on some of those kind of uh, renewable power sources where that would offset what traditional uses would have been, which is coal-fired power, I guess, for, for the projects. Um, on the mine itself, the, the water that's in the mine is fairly warm. Um, so when we extract the water, we see an opportunity to extract that heat as well and use that heat for heating of the offices and and local uh, buildings nearby the project. So there's a number of things that we're looking at that would be beneficial to you know the push towards carbon neutrality. Um, but more importantly, I think a lot of end users um, are looking at where materials are coming from. And you know you, you've got the rise in ESG, environment, social governance aspects from not only from an investment perspective, but I think from an end user's perspective. And you know you, you look at things like your your iPhone or whatever phone you use, whatever manufacturer it is. Um, I think there's a demand from end users to make sure that the products within those uh, electronic appliances are sourced responsibly. And you know, just using tin as an example, um, in many parts of the world, tin might be seen as um, funding conflict or um, you know resulting in large-scale environmental destruction. As an example. Um, in Indonesia, much of the tin is produced from offshore dredging operations, and it's having a big impact on reef systems and, and fishing environments. And you know, I think that's where we see an opportunity here. You can responsibly mine in an environment that is supportive of the operation. You can have an inv- a positive Im- impact on the local environment, and you can supply tin to end users, groups like a Google or an Apple or a Panasonic, um, that is really looking to ensure that all of the materials they use are responsibly sourced. Um, how important is it to domestically supply the critical minerals essential for uh, the green transition, um, particularly from uh, obviously Cornwall, um, a place with rich history in mining? Well, you know, from my perspective, it's essential. Um, you know, again, tin is fundamental, ubiquitous to anything electronic. So, you know, if we if we want to grow this electro- electric economy, um, you're going to need tin. So the options faced with you are, do you want to import your tin from Asia um, with a larger footprint, or do you want to produce it here? Uh, that's the opportunity from a tin perspective. The other thing that you're looking at in Cornwall now is, is a recognition that you've got this regional geological environment that has potential for other metals. So, you know, lithium has, has got onto the radar, um, copper potential, obviously the silver that we've seen down in Cornwall. Um, so now the, I think there's a growing recognition, which has expanded from Cornwall. Um, a couple of years ago, Cornwall was um, kind of recognized as a high potential opportunity region by by Westminster for the resource potential because of, you know, the history of mining there. And, you know, I think there's a growing recognition as well in, in Westminster now of the identifying what are metals that can be sourced domestically, um, what is critical to the economy. And if you want these kind of next generation um, 
battery manufacturing centers, car manufacturing, if you want to compete with other countries throughout Europe that are already trying to, to put this infrastructure into place, um, you don't have to go any further than Cornwall. You've got some of the resources there that can supply that growth. I've got uh, two more questions. Um, first one's around Cornwall. Um, obviously, what would you say the outlook is for mining within the region over the next 20, 30, 40 years? Um, you've mentioned, obviously, there's copper there, apart from obviously tin, there's copper there, there's silver there. Um, the likes of Rio Tinto, as you mentioned, obviously, many years ago, uh, was, was involved there. How do you see mining in Cornwall over the next yeah, 20, 30, 40 years? How, how do you see it developing? And I know you haven't got a crystal ball either. Yeah. Um, look, I think the fact that we've already got a, a permitted project tells you that there is support within, you know, there's a mechanism in place where if you do the right things, you're going to get a, a project permitted and you can put it into production. I think it's essential to work with the local community so that the community is is fully on board with what you're doing, why you're doing it, when you're doing it, how long it's going to take. I think it's important not to have uh, to overpromise on the time frame and you know when things are going to happen. But there's been so many advances, you know, in, in mining technology, extractive technology, um, you know, wh where we benefit again at, at South Crofty, for example is that you've got this enormous um, extent of underground working, so we can put all of the waste products, the tailings, back underground. So the, 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 the visual impact on surface is minimal. It's confined to the process plant that we would have and the head frame for, for the shaft. The, I, I think the other thing that we add is, you know, it's the diversification of the economy, which is currently, you know, heavily weighted towards tourism and, you know, as, as you know, through the COVID period here, we've seen a lot of people stay within the UK. You, you haven't been able to travel internationally. Um, so a lot of people have been going down to Cornwall and enjoying uh, the tourist attractions and, and the beaches it has to offer. But at the same time, you know, tourism, tourism doesn't pay a lot of people high wages. Um, what we bring to the table is the ability to train uh, the next generation of the mining community and high quality, high paying jobs, um, highly skilled, well-trained people who can then apply those, uh, that training elsewhere if, if, if need be, but it, it brings in um, certainly uh, an industrial sector that pays well and would have a positive impact on, on Cambone, Poole, Red Ruth and the regional economy as a whole. And I've always said, you know, once you can get one project moving forward, it would attract additional investment. And we're already seeing that. There was a, uh, a conference held uh, in Falmouth recently, and we had groups Cornish Lithium, British Lithium, uh, Cornwall Resources, Cornish Tin, um, Imaris, who have been there for a number of years mining the China clays. So I think people are seeing that you can work within the framework uh, of the existing laws and you can get permitted, you can get community support. And the attraction certainly at Cornwall council level is the jobs that it would create because, you know, it, it, it would provide a meaningful boost and, a, and some diversification to the economy. And lastly, uh, what's the outlook for Cornish metals over the next sort of 12 to uh, 18 months? 
Well, I think the I would say the outlook probably better to look at where tin price and where the the tin world is going. Um, you know, we've just received um, a monthly update from the International Tin Association, and this is an organisation that kind of captures the full range of participants within the tin world, all the way from explorers, developers like ourselves, through mining companies, uh, smelting companies, metals traders, end users, research research and development. And, you know, it's apparent that we're going through this period of growth in demand. Um, there was there was a very interesting graph published two or three years ago by Rio Tinto, which looked at new technologies such as robotics, um, computing, electric vehicles, again, power generation, power storage, which metals were used in those applications and which metals would be most impacted uh, by by growth in those technologies. And tin came top of the list. So, you know, if there's an opportunity here for Cornish Metals to participate in that growth. And you're looking at, you know, probably a five to 10 year, maybe longer um, resource cycle. Um, if we can get South Crofty going, we should be in production within four to five years um and and participate in that and then you know we'd be a, a contributor to europe's needs north america's needs from from a tin perspective so i i'm very positive about the the future for the company i know i think we've got a fantastic project um it again it's quite different from a lot of other green fields projects that that have not been mines in the past um South Crofty started the earliest production records in South Crofty were back in 1592. And between 1592 and around 1900, 1905, it was principally a, a series of copper mines, which were mined in the top two to 250, 300 meters depth. And then in 1905, it transitioned to a tin mine and there was a shaft sunk through the middle of all these old copper mines, which found a very large tin deposit beneath the old copper mines. And so it's um, it's a fascinating uh, geological study. Uh, but when we look at it, we see enormous potential for the resource to grow and for South Crofty to be a mine for many years to come. Richard, really appreciate your time in uh, doing this podcast and obviously um, explaining about um, obviously Cornish metals, but also um, the prospects that we can see within the area of Cornwall. Obviously, it's had a rich history in the past, and hopefully, we, uh, as obviously as a mining industry, will hopefully rejuvenate uh, the mining in that area because, like I said, it obviously has a rich history. And as you demonstrated, there is there is a lot of obviously commodities, not just obviously tin, obviously silver, copper, um, as you explained. Um, I, if our audience wants to sort of reach out to you, if they have any questions, how can they go about doing that? Are you across any social media platforms? Yeah, um, you know, we, we've we got a Twitter page, a Facebook page. Um, we've got a website, obviously, with um, an email address. If anybody's got any questions, they always get either, either answered by um, the, the, the team we've got. And if it becomes something very technical, there's Owen my, or myself that can answer the question. So... More than happy. If anybody's interested, just get in touch. Yeah. And um, we can include those in the show notes accompanying this as yeah. well. So um, for easy, uh, easy access. So like I said, Richard, really appreciate your time. Wish you well uh, with the project. 
um, certainly be following it closely, especially here in the UK. Um, and obviously this podcast goes out around the world. So um, appreciate all our listeners. If you can uh, obviously follow the, the UK mining industry. Um, I mean, a lot, I suppose a lot of people globally doesn't recognize UK has a, has a mining industry as such, but you've demonstrated there is a lot of potential here. So um, appreciate the audience listening. Um, appreciate again, if you can share and like this episode amongst people within the industry um, and show people around the world that UK does have a mining industry. Um, so like I said, really appreciate your time, Richard. Um, and we'll be following your, um, your um, story um, over the coming, coming years. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.